Thank you, Dad. <laughs> um, it is, I would implore you tonight to, to listen uh, closely because I do have a newborn and I don't know how coherent I will be, but I am certain that the Lord does want to speak tonight, that he wants to move towards you in love. And so I would implore you to listen. Listen to him and how he wants to speak uh, to you. It is a delight to be here. It has been a really great uh, week. Uh, it's especially fun uh, for me to see d- different people in the room that I've worked with over the years, be it Sashko or John Eide, uh or knowing Stasek and Michal, to be in the same room uh, and to, be, to have IPC be about this, to be about Europe, uh, it seems to make all the sense in the world to me, that the global church needs to rally to support Europe because of what's going on right now. And it's been a joy to hear about his movement in Norway. It's been a joy to hear about a denomination being planted in Poland uh, and to see the denomination in Ukraine that was planted in the last 25 years, 15 churches holding strong, holding fast to Christ as war rages on night and day. So thank you. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for being with us. The people in Ukraine feel your support in a lot of different ways. And so really, I want to pass on thanks from them to you, from one body of Christ to another. Uh, Thank you for serving our Lord and being united in him together. I'm going to read our passage from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And I'm just going to read verses 3 through Seven, that's what we're going to focus on tonight. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we sit and we wait for you tonight. We wait to hear from you, uh, to listen to how you want to nudge each of us, to to move towards us in love uh, tonight that we might move out towards people with that same love. So I bring to you my meager efforts and my scattered thoughts and ask that you would do your gracious work through your active Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as, as uh, Robert said, I finished my MDiv and working on my counseling degree, and obviously the, the war happened. I started 367 days ago. And as I think about going back uh, to Ukraine, I've been thinking about a particular topic 
Uh, the topic is trauma as mission. Trauma is a, a, a big word in the psychological counseling world, uh, but really in Greek, it just means wound. It means uh, to be pierced. And so tonight, we're going to talk about woundedness and mission. Mission is really just to say the triune God's redemptive effort, excuse me, redemption of the, of the cosmos, the triune God's redemption of the cosmos. So we're talking tonight about woundedness and redemption. Now, those ideas don't seem to go together, but with our Lord, they do. Diane Langberg says that when we get to heaven, we will see a wounded Savior. We will see a scarred God. You and I will have new bodies, but those piercings on his hands and on his feet, they were there after the resurrection when he showed himself to his disciples. And so I presume in Christ they will be there in the future. So we will have new bodies, but we will be met by a scarred Savior. So woundedness and mission go together. And I have a friend named Svitik. He's 22 years old. He lives in Lviv. And he is a friend who is wounded right now, just like everyone in Ukraine, it seems. He's been living through... He lives through this, in the last 367 days, he's lived through 285 air raid sirens. Nine and a half thousand strikes on his country. Some of those missile airstrikes, some of those airplanes, some of those Iranian drones that you don't know where things are going to explode. He's seen civilians slain in the streets in Bucha, Irpin. He's seen in the news torture chambers discovered city after city. And just recently, probably the most painful thing for him, his father was called up to war. His father's a church member. The whole family's in our church. They're a delight. And he spoke to me about the, the pain it was that his father was, was called up. When his father was called up, he wrote me a message, and he said, I had my last morning with my father, my last prayer over breakfast the last reading of the scriptures, the last look, the last ride to where he'll deport. Tears, tears are flowing as I write, he says. He's wounded, and so many other people are, in, are wounded as well. So wh where is Svitik supposed to go with all of this? Where are Ukrainians supposed to go with all of this? Where is the God of all comfort in a moment like that? Dare we ask such a question? I think the Bible suggests to us that he is right in the middle of it. And Svitik said the same thing. He said, when he was talking about his dad being called up, he said, this was the worst day of my life, but I have never felt the presence and the nearness of God like I did today. And this is what we need. We need an almighty Father who wants to meet us in pain, meet us in our suffering. The Bible recognizes and our passage recognizes that you, nor I, nor anyone in Ukraine, Poland, or Europe can get through a day of life without pain. Be it a muscle ache, 
be it a comment that someone shares to you, or be it wars. And Paul also knows, as he writes this passage, that like those in Corinth, you and I have ways that we respond to the pain that comes our way. Some of us avoid pain at all costs. We either try try to just, pain comes our way, but we just try to think positive things so as to kind of ignore it or distract ourselves. Some of us get met with pain, and we let it callous us. And we respond later on out of that hurt towards others. In some cases, pain numbs us. It numbs us to the world, and it numbs us to relationships and all that matters. And Paul knows that all of these responses to pain are downward paths that lead to dungeons. Instead, pain and suffering is meant to draw us into the arms of our loving Father, not away. We often say, how can God exist if there's so much pain and suffering in the world? But doesn't that resemble Satan's words in Genesis 3? How do you know that God is good? Rather, pain and suffering is meant to drive us to take shelter under the wings of the Almighty. What we all long for in Ukraine, in Poland, here in Memphis, as you endure your own sufferings, is to be met by a comforting, ever-present, gentle, and strong Lord. And so the big idea for for tonight is because God comforts you, you must comfort others. Because God comforts you, you must comfort others. But how does God comfort? How does he bring comfort into this world? First, he brings it through his presence, is what we see in the passage. And second, he brings it through your presence. So first, he brings comfort through his presence. The people in Corinth are gathered in a room, and they're huddled together. And just like here, probably someone's muscles are aching. Probably someone's dealing with some arthritis. Probably someone has fear of the Roman Empire in the back of their mind. And they hear, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. Do you see that the connection between God and Father? He says, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You see, original sin attacked the fatherhood of God. But in Christ, his, fathership, his fatherhood and our sonship are restored. Because of Christ, you have a Father of all mercies. Because of Christ, the door is open to you. To, the, to, to know the God of all comfort. Do you see the heart of God in this? That he became the suffering one for you, leaving glory, becoming lit little in order to enter into your pain. Christ became the tormented one, the traumatized one, so that by his wounds, you might be healed. And now, neither Svetik nor you, nor I, And what we endure in this life are trapped in our pain and suffering. The 
Father sees you, He hears you, He knows you, and He waits to comfort you. And this makes me think of David in Psalm 56. I'm going to read that to you. And you can, as I read it, you can think of yourself, the situations that you're in that are difficult, where there's pain, there's suffering, there's imminent fear, there's no safe place. And you can think about David and what he was going through and also Ukrainians and what they're enduring. This is Psalm 56. David is in Gath, so he's in a place of mere desperation as he's fleeing the Philistines. Gath's where Goliath's from, so that's not a great place to be. He says, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. For many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause, he says. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. And then in verse 8, this is, this is one of the verses that has been on my heart the most as I've thought about Ukraine and wrestled with the torment of this year for people, for myself. David says, you have kept count of my tossings. Now, tossings can be translated tossings or wanderings. It's you've kept count of my tossings and turnings at at night, or you've kept count as I've wandered away, as as I've lost my way, because I'm lost in the confusion and the difficulty of my circumstances. You've, You've numbered my tossings and turnings at night. You've put my tears in a bottle, he says. There is perhaps nothing more attentive than the Lord counting your tears and saying that he puts them in a bottle. Whatever you have been through in in Memphis in the last year, whatever Ukrainians have been through in the last year, all the tossings and turnings are counted. All of the tears the Lord has been attentive to and has numbered and has put them in a bottle. And then it says, you have recorded them In your book. Do you see the nearness of our Lord when there is pain and when there is suffering? The Almighty God is present for those in Ukraine who suffer, and He is present for you. Like David, you too can curl up under the wing of the Almighty. He sits and waits, eager to extend his kind and gentle and strong and attentive hand to you. So what is this, what is this like? To come to that kind of father who is present for you in your suffering. With Svitik, as he told me about his dad, and that his dad had left, we, I got on the phone with him a couple of days after that when he was ready to, to talk. 
And with him, I encouraged him. He was in so much pain, and I didn't know what to do. But I encouraged him, how, if your dad was here, how might he meet you in this moment? How might he comfort you? His earthly father, how might he meet you? How might he comfort you in this moment? And he said, well, he would wipe away my tears. He would embrace me. He would be the strong and comforting presence that I need him to be. And then we talked about how much more is your, does your heavenly father sit here and wait here and he's here for you while war rages on, while you don't know what tomorrow will look like, where you don't know where your dad will be tomorrow nor where he will sleep tonight, which, by the way, he's sleeping outside in the cold winter. But your heavenly father is attentive to you, Svitik. And I wonder about you. I wanted to talk about this in particular because I know it's been a hard year in Memphis, a really hard year, where you also have felt a lot of fear. You've felt a lot of um, no safe place, not knowing what to do. And so if you imagine yourself, Svitik was imagining his father, if maybe you go back into your childhood, at before the age of 10, let's say, when you were a child and you scraped your knee on the playground or something difficult happened to you, how was your parent attentive to you in that moment? Who did you run for? Who did you run to? And how did they meet you? Some of us may have had parents that met us in that play, place of pain. Others may have been pushed aside because your parent was too busy. But here's the deal. God is utterly different from that parental figure. Where your mother or father responded, may have responded to you with frustration, God responds to you with gentle, attentive care. If you were ever pushed aside because your parental figure was too busy, your heavenly father waits anxiously to extend his mighty arm that you might curl up underneath his wing. You know what it's like to sit with a friend, to be seen, to be heard in your pain and in your suffering, to be met by them with compassion, gentle, and inviting more. Your shoulders drop. You exhale a little bit. You might weep in their embrace and let it all out. And this, I imagine, is what David was doing. He talked about tears as he fled his enemies. This is, I imagine, what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to do. And it is deep on my heart as I sit and watch Ukraine and as I struggle with my own difficulties and anger and hurt and loss to know that I have an almighty Father who will meet me in that place. Be attentive, be strong, and be gentle. So for you, my friends, God is there in the midst of your suffering. He waits to extend his mighty arm to you and to mix solace with your pain. But I do want to ask, what do you do with your pain and with your suffering? Do you avoid the pain, seeking to think positively about something that lies ahead? 
but we can't run forever. And I want to encourage you, to nudge you, to sit with the Almighty, with the the wrestlings and rumblings and churnings of your heart. Or do you let pain numb you? Let it numb you and and sort of push you out of human relationships. Well, there's there's nowhere to go except loneliness if this is what we're doing. But might I suggest that you lean into your pain and take it to the Lord who cares. I know that I often pray about relief from my pain, which is good, but it is much more difficult for me to slow down and take the rawest matters of my heart to him because he doesn't leave when things get hard. He waits to comfort those in Ukraine and those of you here tonight. The other thing that he, point two, is that he comforts through your presence. He comforts through his presence, and he comforts through your presence. Look with me back again at the text. Verse four says, The God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's also for your comfort. So God comforts. And to say that he comforts, what that actually means is to say that he fortifies. It's not a tranquilizing dose of grace that he gives us in our pain and our suffering. It's like the fortification of weak knees is the effect that he, ha- that it, that he has upon us. But why does he do this? Well, we see that he does it so that we will comfort others. It gives us the purpose, the telos of the comfort that we have received, that we have been comforted so that we might take it forward, so that you might become a stabilizing gentle presence to hurting people in a suffering-ridden world. And how are we to do this? We're to do this in verse 4, with the comfort that we've received. So in sum, you are to become His presence to hurting people in your city. This is what makes me want to go back to Ukraine. People ask me, are you going to go back? And we're, we are ready to go back. And this is why. Because we have a God who comforts. And then he says, I want you to be the extension of my presence to hurting people in a suffering world. Because the heart of our God is for the suffering. So you are to go to bear the image of our Lord in your city. Now, often I think we hear the word image bearer, and, and in our self-esteem deprived society, we primarily think of value, intrinsic value that it gives to us of, oh, the Lord made me, I have dignity, that means I have worth and weight and value. And it certainly is that, but it's more, right? To image bearer has a verb-like component, to bear the image of to enact on the stage of life the character of God. So you, in in all the places that you are, with all the things that are going on 
in Memphis are to enact the character of God on your stage. It's an act of, of improv to improvise who God might be in that very moment. That's the privilege that you and I have been given as image bearers. So do you see the heart of our God for the suffering? Do you see the role that you have been given to extend his presence through you? To say words that he might, that Jesus might say in that moment. To attune and to relate to another in a way that he would. To emote as Jesus would have emoted. To extend a gentle hand the way that Jesus did in Luke 5 with the diseased man. Our speaking, our relating, our physical aspect, we are meant to enact and do improv of who, who, what, who and what the character of God would be like on our given stages of life. We're to be comforted in the presence of the Almighty and then to go out into the world this way. So as people, we learn in relationship. This isn't, I think this is all pretty, pretty straightforward for us. We learn in relationship. This is why I cannot help but wrestle with my son because my dad wrestled with me. It just, it just happens. I don't even try. This is why it comes somewhat naturally to extend a, a hand, a gentle hand to reach out and care because that's what I saw my mom did in so many days of life. That's why Svitik as he was coming back from the train station one day, he was in a, uh, he'd been at the train station all day meeting people coming from the east who were fleeing from war, and he wrote me this message that said, I was coming from the train station, and I'm in the, the taxi, and the taxi driver is from a city called Kharkiv, and uh, the taxi driver had fled his home with his wife and his children under fire, missiles, shooting, actually under fire, had fled. And Svitik said, there in the taxi car, he, me, and my mom, we wept together. Because Svitik had learned that from his parents who had learned it from the Lord. And you too, in your city, are being called to go and do likewise. Have you received that comfort of the Lord? to go and take it to a hurting, the hurting city around you. To end, I'll just um, focus on what our Lord did for us, what Christ did for us. And these are uh, reflections uh, that come from kind of chewing on what's it going to mean to go back to Ukraine? Uh, what does it mean uh, with what the Lord has done uh, for us? Uh, and they come, some of them come from Diane Langberg and sitting under her in, uh, in some lectures and thinking about this. Uh, Christ left glory to be with you. He didn't sit in heaven, leaving you in isolation in this cold, dark world, but he entered in. He left the beauty, the comfort, the order of heaven, the safety of heaven, and he traded what was clean for dirty, what was peaceful for torment. And so you and I, too, are to leave glory and to help those in crisis 
to, to leave that which is predictable, familiar, comfortable. Leave your safety and enter into the life of another wrecked by pain. He left glory to be with you. He also became little like you. In leaving glory, Jesus became little. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe, immortal and infinite. But he became unlike himself, taking on flesh. And Diane Langberg says, all glory became an embryo that you might become a whole person. To him, there was no us and them. He came down that there might be a we. And so you and I, too, are to enter into crisis, to become little, not to swoop in with all the answers, but to go and walk with people as Jesus walked, to listen, to observe, and to be there, to be a fortifying presence for them, to obliterate the us in them and make a we. And you know what's wild about it all? He said, and you see this in verse 5 in our passage, it says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, does that sound exciting to you? It's not the invitation that we're looking for, right? We're looking for the invitation, I don't know, to to the Grizzlies game. We're looking to the invitation uh, to the beach house. Well, here it is. Our Lord entered into your suffering now he's invited you to share in his. And our role in that, as we share in his suffering, as we enter into the suffering of Memphis or Ukraine or Poland, is to lead people, is to sit with them in the way that he would sit with them, to walk with them in the way that he would walk with them. and to lead them into the arms of the Almighty. So do you see? Do you see what Christ has done for you, for me, for Svitik, for the world? Do you see what he has provided for us? The attentive care that is strengthening, that fortifies. When I watch videos of the footage in Ukraine, and you see the rawness of it, I watch those videos of soldiers in the trenches, and I think these are the guys that are going to need a community after this war's over. When Ukraine wins, what they'll need is a church. What they'll need is a body of believers who's ready to sit with them with everything that they've been through. Able to be a home for them and to provide them that space where they can be introduced to the Almighty. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask you to build these kinds of communities around the world, and we know that you are. We know that this is your heart, that you are near to the suffering, that you are the one who longs so much more than we do to provide a home, a safe place, healing, the redemption of the cosmos, to give us new and whole bodies. And so we come to you tonight as a body here in Memphis, and we listen to your word, and we ask that you would help us 
to walk forward in the ways that you would walk, to be the kind of people that say, do, extend physical care in the ways that you would. And we ask this for your glory, that you might receive what is due your name and what you are worthy of. We pray in Christ's name.